This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of the Auto Repair Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Walker, and Kim is my co-host, as usual. I'm here. And today we are here with Mac Akram from Max Auto Repair, and he has a very interesting story, and we're going to dig into that story some. But first, I do want to thank our sponsors, RepairPal. RepairPal will bring more clients to your shop through the largest auto repair shop website in the world, RepairPal.com. You can find more at RepairPal.com forward slash shops. Well, welcome, Mac. We're glad to have you here today. Pleasure is mine, sir. I appreciate you guys. Thank you for Absolutely. having me here. I'm excited. You know why I'm excited? Brian knows why I'm excited. Why are you excited? You don't know? No. Because we usually like have a really good idea of like where we're going with the story and we're just going to be super raw today. And I am all about that. Yeah, we have no idea where this conversation is going, but <laughs> Mac has a really awesome story. And I know of it, you know, just from what you've told me where it starts in 2018, when you immigrated from Baghdad to the United States. So tell us a little bit about your story. I don't know how far you want to hear back, but I'll try to make it very short and to the point. So I was born and raised in Iraq, Baghdad. Um, my father is Iraqi. My mom is from Armenia. Uh, so I grew up with two different, well, similar, but two different cultures, in other words, in one house, right? But it's very similar in a lot of stuff. After the war in 2003, we left Iraq in 2000, and the war started 2003, we left in 2005, August of 2005, to Syria, and then through there we had to apply uh, through the United Nations to get immigrated, and to be honest, America was not anywhere outside the Middle East was the goal. How old were you at that time? So I was born in 89, Okay. 1989. So when we left in 2005, I want to say I was probably 16. Okay. And then we stayed in, the process took about four years in Syria. The good thing about it is uh, I got to meet my wife in 2006. But uh, in 2009, we got immigrated to the state, December of 2009. And I was 19 at the time when I got, when we got here, it was me, my sister, mom and dad. And kind of were very excited because... Uh, we always hear about America as the land of opportunities. Back home, that was just in the movies. When we got here, I'm like, you know, at first you take a few years to kind of learn the language. Uh, I was talking to you guys yesterday, learning mm -hmm. things the hard way, you know, <laughs> the inside of the cultures, the inside jokes, yeah. things like that. So at first it takes a little while. A couple of years, it was just all over the place trying to find your way around town and things like that. And then I just decided to learn automotive the right way. Both of my uncles, I should have actually started with this. Both of my uncles are old school automotive. They had huge shops in, in Baghdad and they worked on everything, right? I was too young for that. So I just knew here it is a wrench, here is a socket, here is where you get into mm -hmm. whatever simple stuff. Uh, so it was always in my blood, you know, and I always loved it. I was not a book smart. I'm still not a book smart. You know, I was always with my uncle in the shop outside and things like this. So in 2011, I decided to learn the career the right way. I wanted to know everything pretty much about cars. And I loved working on cars. I love fixing my own. I see that progress. I get that, mm -hmm. you know, hey, it's fixed, <laughs> you know, found the problem. It can be addictive. And it is, you know, it is. I'm not going to lie. So I uh, joined Mesa Community College in Arizona. They had an automotive 
what do you call it? A class program. right there program. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, uh, two semesters into it, uh, my instructor at the time, Nate Wynn, I asked him to find if he can find me a job somewhere to start this because I was doing a different job and I was kind of studying the automotive at the Mesa Community College. And I had a lot of challenges with, and remember, this is me about a year and a half to two years in the country. So English, mm-hmm. my English was very broken mm-hmm. and I had a hard time understanding terminology. So when they'll talk, I'm like, oh, what does this mean? So I go and I Google it up and I Google. I was working in a different industry and I said, okay, if I'm really serious about this, let me start in this industry. It, it sinks in a lot better. Mm-hmm. You know, I started at Toyota. Uh, Nate got me a job right there as a quick loop. And it was 2012 or 13, I want to say at the time. And it just took off from there, you know. Um, quick loop for about a year. And then I was apprenticed by Tony Caraco as well. Because Nate also worked at Big 2 Toyota. Uh, master technician he was. Um, so then I was apprenticed at Toyota dealership between Nate and Tony Caraco, which both later on when I had my shop worked for me. And yeah, and I love it. You know, I'm very lucky, very proud to have them obviously in my life and I love it. So yeah. And then a line tech after a quick loop. And then I tried independent shops, uh, fleet services, so on and so forth. And I was too fed up and you've been in the business, Brian, obviously I was too fed up with the dishonesty of service advisors and some technician some technicians anyways, uh, cause obviously when I was there, it was flat rate was a thing today. Flat rate is fading out slowly. And if you were not busy or not getting paid, mm-hmm. and if you didn't find something wrong with the car or the service advisor did not sell X, Y, Z, then pretty much everybody loses. Right. So there where it creates a need to sell, which is good for business, but a lot of times they use the dishonest shortcuts, you know, mm-hmm. I've heard service advisor serve power steering flushes on Priuses. It mm-hmm. doesn't even have fluid. It's an electric steering system. Mm-hmm. So I was too fed up with that. And what really got me to worked out later in the independent shop is you get some of these cars and they ask us to do a multi-point inspection, which I'm a firm believer in that. The messed up part is, is you go ahead and you inspect the vehicle, right? You're putting your work into it. You put your notes and all of that stuff. And initially the customer came in, check engine light on, for example, right? And you get to diagnose that as well. And uh, Mr. Customer, here's what you're going to need. Your thermostat fails. So we're recommending, you know, as a technician, we need thermostat. That'll be a good time to do a coolant flush. And then you factor in from your experience, whether hoses will be a good time to replace, so on and so forth. So you recommend those. But then, hey, Mr. Customer, you also, your rear shocks are blowing and, you know, brakes, bearings or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. My point is, is when I give that invoice to uh, the inspection to the service advisor, service advisor looks at it like this. He goes, oh, oh, oh. I go, what's up? What's wrong? Uh, he goes, well, I'm not gonna, let's not show all of this. You know, um, I said, what do you mean? Why? And he goes, well, then the sale is not going to happen. I'm going to tell the customer that you need $8,000 worth of work. He's going to fly away. Let me sell the thermostat job and maybe your brakes, you know, and the rest can wait. And I'm like, yeah, but he's about to be here again in three, four months. And this specifically applies on vehicles that are older. They don't hold their value as much Mm -hmm. to the customer anyways. And I said, you know, he's going to be here in three, four months complaining about this noise, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's bearing about to fail out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. And he goes... Yeah, and we'll worry about it when we get there. I go, what about, what if he did not really want to spend your $2,000 today and then another $2,000 in three months? What if the customer decides, okay, I'm out, I'm opt out. I don't want this vehicle. Mm-hmm. Go trade it in for something else. Why don't you present everything and let them choose, educate yeah. them, tell them the priorities and do that. Yeah. No, no, we lose a sale, we lose a sale. 
I'm like, bro, this is just not right. So it happens so many times to where like, you know, if I ever have my own shop, you know, from business standpoint, and I get to understand that a little later, numbers and all of that sales, you want the sales. But, you know, I'm going to give my customer the option. Mm -hmm. I'm going to educate my customer. I'm going to tell him how to actually own a car or what's wrong with his car. And hey, Mr. Customer, you got XYZ, you know, and it's going to run this much to fix everything. All right. But here is why you're here today. Mm -hmm. Here is what we marked as red and kind of take priority as well and urgency here is what you can do the next six months to a year and really if this was a keeper vehicle and you had the long-term commitment to your, you want to keep it you don't want to go trade it in or buy something else then you're going to be thinking about rear shocks uh flushing on the transmission so on mm-hmm. and so forth so was this the beginning of you starting to think about training i, I want to open my own shop yes that was the beginning of it, but I was too afraid to, again, at the time, my English wasn't really perfect as well. I mean, it still is, but I was too afraid of a few things, you mm-hmm. know, oh, what if I did not get it right? But that was the beginning of it. Yes, that's what it started. The frustration started right there. Yeah. Dishonesty started right there. And then, you know, the other thing is everybody, all consumers do not understand our business and in mm-hmm. details, I should say. And then they become complaining or concerned why the price is so much, mm-hmm. right? And on the other side is as a shop owner or service advisor, you know, you're selling the strut, for example, at $350 a pop, you know, you're including the strut mount if he knows what he's doing as a service advisor. Why are you getting very cheap product? You know, get the good product, but we're offering warranty. I said, that's a great, but the customer downtown is going to come back in. You know, that shock right there without naming brands, mm-hmm. but you know, that brand right there is going to fail on this car after a year or two, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and he's going to be back in again. Mm-hmm. Now you're going to have to pay me again to do it. And it's just not right. You know, you're not making a loyal customer. They're exactly. going to be questioning. And it's not going to ride the same, you know, and definitely not a longevity part Mm -hmm. where literally for another 50 bucks, sometimes 20 bucks, you know, you can get the OEM brand in there and fix it right the first time type of thing. Back to spec. No, no, this one right here. So again, there is a lot of greed and a lot of cheating can be done in this industry. And I was too fed up of that. Yeah. So I decided to, you know, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it differently and see how it goes. I worked at a place where they had a fleet of taxis and they were all hybrids, uh, Priuses, Toyota Priuses. And that fleet owner kind of like when he comes to the shop, I want Mac to work on my vehicle. Yeah. Mac yeah, to yeah. work on my vehicle. Mm-hmm. So when I finally quit it, rolled my toolbox back in the trailer, I obviously as a technician don't have the customer contacts, mm-hmm. right? But I knew where his office was and, um, I knew where the company in Arizona was called at the time, Discount Cab. So what I did is I'm like, okay, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? We just had my first son, Fadian, that was 2016, Mm -hmm. late 2016. I'm like, I'm telling my wife, I'm like, I don't want to go work at another shop. I'm done with dealership politics. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to do. But two days later, I had an idea. I said, you know what? I'm going to get in touch with Ben, see if I can fix his Priuses, you know, in our shop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll do at least this in our garage. I'm sorry. I'll do at least the small stuff. So then mm-hmm. I went in and uh, I applied for that taxi cab company as a driver, <laughs> just so I can get in touch with the owner operator, Smart guy. you know, and I literally worked. I went through their training and it wasn't too long. It was about a day, uh, two days, I think. I got my license, my background check and all of that. I went to their office and I said, Hey, I want to lease a cab from you because that's how it worked as a driver. You know, you go ahead, you lease the cab, you do your runs, you pay your lease and you keep the rest. And then, Hey, uh, by the way, I'm Mac, that guy that used to fix his, you know, your Priuses at yeah. XYZ. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. How you doing? Good to see you. I said, hey, if you guys need, you know, anything, let me know. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not working there anymore, and uh, yeah. I got a two car garage in my house. So he goes, all right, very cool. Well, the next day, you know, hey Mac, a light bulb out on this one. Uh, hey Mac, those bricks are making noises. Can you? Can you? Can you? Can you? And I said, of course, yeah, let's do it. So I literally worked for one day. I drove for one day for him with a cab <laughs> company. You know, I got him in my house. At that point, it was mid 2017. Um, I bought an air compressor in the house garage. I did the floors epoxy, got it all ready. Now we had HOA in, a, in where we live. Did not take too long. We lived at the time I lived at my parents and uh, it was a cul-de-sac where the house was. Uh, it did not take long to where they started. I wake up six in the morning, you know, uh, and there you go. Five to seven Priuses parked right there and they're all green. <laughs> so... So the neighbors knew something was up at yeah. this point. Yeah, no, yeah. And again, I had a, what is it, a 30-gallon air compressor in the garage, right. you know, yeah. uh, floor jacks and the whole nine yards. <laughs> I even did engine swaps in my garage for these. <laughs> um, so it didn't take too long. I got seized by the HOA, and that was December. Uh, and at that point, um, I'm like, okay, what do I do? What do I do? HOA came in and he goes, hey, you got to seize immediately, man. You can't. Okay. Um, don't really have the money, neither understand the business side of the automotive, you know, and how to open it, signage and what to charge properly. Cause I was doing it at my garage, you know I mean? I was charging the guy $55 an hour working in my garage, yeah. having him buy his own parts or I'll go buy these parts for him sometimes. So I didn't know much about the logistics mm-hmm. or all of that. Right. But I know one thing, there is no going back, yeah. you know, and we had to move out of my parents cause Fadi's getting, my son is getting a little older, too loud, you know, and all <laughs> of that boy. stuff. Yeah. I spoke to my wife. I'm like, hey, babe, do, here's what's going to happen. I'm thinking of, you know, taking this to the next level and I'm going to start because Ben had 45 Priuses at the time. So it's a decent fleet, mm-hmm. but I couldn't really afford a lift. I couldn't really afford a lot of the stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I was looking, 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 looking. And finally, and thank God, I found a place that came with its lift. It was a one bay. It was literally, um, the 20 feet this way and kind of 45 in depth. One bay in there came with its own air compressor. Sounds like uh, a perfect start. Thank you so much. You know, I had a, an office about the size of this table right here. So I rented that thing and I had $2,000 to my name mm-hmm. at that time. The rent was 1350 The guy was asking one month up front and one month. So he was asking two months plus security deposit. So I had to borrow some money from my father. And, you know, that's where it started. That's where my first shop in Tempe was, you know, right off of Scotland Road in Curry. Started right there. And then I told Ben, hey, man, uh, now I'm here. Let's get all these cars towed out because half of them did not work. And then at that point, the drivers themselves start bringing their own personal vehicles, yeah. their wives, their families. Um, and then... Not too long after I became uh, the Prius guy, the Prius guy, the hybrid guy, mm-hmm. the Prius guy. So I was good and cheap and people will come over. And then obviously later down the road, I realized that I'm burning myself, Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and how the business should be ran mm-hmm. properly. So, and that's when I joined Cecil. But right there in uh, 2018 is when I took over that Tempe place. I started with one bay in 2019. One Bay and Ben only, that one customer, and then a few others on the side. In 2019, I had to get the building behind me because I was too busy. Uh, and a buddy of mine at Toyota, I'll call him after hours. Hey, man, can you come and help me this? Because at this point, I'm doing seven days a week. I'm going in at nine or eight in the morning and I'm not leaving until 10 or 11 at night, mm-hmm. you know, and I can't catch up. 
so come help me, come help me. He came in and we'll help and, you know, we'll team tag the work and get it done, get it done. But then there was always more. So my intention wasn't really doing it for public was, okay, let me do Ben as a fleet. And then I'm going to buy cars, fix him and sell him type of thing. Well, I think I did one car <laughs> purchase, fix and flip and couldn't have time to do anything else really. Cause at that point, you know, more customers and everything came alone and the name got out there. Yeah, it was all word of mouth at that time. Yeah, yeah, it was Mm -hmm. uh, all word of mouth. And then, you know, I think I did a year and a half to two years until I figured out, okay, all of a sudden my kid now, obviously, is four years old and I'm not there to, you know, how did you get this old, right? I I missed a lot, in other Mm -hmm. words. I burned myself quite a bit, but I was very committed and I still am. uh, And there is no going back, you know. Our friends at RepairPal are making today's episode possible. Don't lose work to your competition. Today's consumers check pricing during all stages of the repair process, before, during, and after. Did you know that 81% of them do online price comparisons before making a purchase, and customers that check your price after they've already authorized the work do so after calling the competition? But RepairPal, the largest auto repair network, has a solution. Their fair price estimator tool can be put on your website to help you build trust with consumers up front to demystify a price, help educate consumers about what's involved in the repair, bring you higher web traffic, and prevent your customers from calling your competition. You have to be in it to win it, so head on over to repairpal.com forward slash shops and set up a call to learn more about becoming RepairPal certified. When you sign up, you'll get one month of service free and save $150 off certification. That's repairpal.com forward slash shops. So you went from working in, in your garage at your home to having this 20 by 40 facility that was, you know, it was kind of already built out a little bit and, you know, being the cheap guy yeah, yeah. to now, I mean, you have a pretty amazing, like beautiful facility. You're unapologetically like the high price leader in your area. How does a transition like that happen? Very tough. Very tough. You know, uh, somebody said earlier in the room, you got to hit Brock bottom before you realize mm-hmm. that you got to come up. And that's, I think what happened. Again, what I, how I was raised and where I come from, there is no go back. You don't look back. Mm-hmm. You know, so you want to take over the island, burn the boats. Tony Robbins says that all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. And when I found myself that drowning and really no energy, I mean, I love my customer. I love working on cars, mm-hmm. but man, I am tired. And then affecting my family on a personal level too, because mm-hmm. I'm almost never there. And mm-hmm. when I'm there, guess what I want to do? Just sleep. Yeah. You know, I want to sleep. Yep. I got in touch. I think that was just before COVID or right, actually right through during COVID. I got in touch. Warpack started offering these free classes. Mm-hmm. And that's when I, uh, started so was that attending. your first entry into the learning part yes. of the? Yes. Okay. That was it. Prior to that, I used to call around, Hey, what do you guys charge for oil changes? Mm-hmm. You know, you do this, mm-hmm. what do you do that? Yep. I didn't know how to price things, right? You mark up parts, really? There was that a thing. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, I got in touch with Cecil and then kind of took off from there. Mm -hmm. I'm very grateful Mm -hmm. for that, to be honest. That was about the best decision I considered I made by far at that point. And getting in touch with Cecil, getting in touch. And that's how I obviously got to know you guys. Yep. So for our listeners, uh, Mac is talking about Cecil Bullard with uh, the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. So he, you know, got his first opportunity with working with a coach in the automotive industry. Correct. Correct. Yeah. I credit a lot of my success to him so far. And yeah, I mean, it took off from there. 
You know, I want to like pause and go back a little bit. I'm like the emotional side of things and I'm just so in awe. I mean, I grew up in America, right? I was born here and I see we take for granted what is happening right in front of us. Indeed. And so here you are back in war zone, right? <laughs> and fleeing your country. You were a teenager. Mm -hmm leaving everything you ever knew. Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine what's going through your head. Like, tell me, what was that like? The whole, like, I'm leaving my homeland, my country, everything I've ever known. So you said that you had a lot of hope, but what fears did you have? Like, what were you worried about? The unknown, you know, you don't know better. You don't know what's out there, right? But growing in Iraq anyways, before the war, it wasn't bad, actually. It was stable. It was all right, you know. You didn't know better, you know. We were limited. Yes, it was considered a third world country, and it still is. But you learn to appreciate, you know. You appreciate that you actually have light 24-7. You appreciate yeah. that, uh, you know, you open the tap, there is hot water almost immediately. Because it got to some point, and again, I... um when I grew up and what I could remember, it's kind of not fair to the country because it has a great history, mm -hmm. you know, but my timeline, that's when things start falling down mm -hmm. in that country. You couldn't just go to the shower and open the shower and then let the water go and relax for five minutes with the hot water. No, it did not. Because you know what? Your mom got a shower, your dad got a shower, mm -hmm. and your sister got a shower, and you only had 200 liters to deal with for that day, yeah. you know, and then you still got to do laundry, do dishes mm -hmm. and cook and all of that stuff. Right. So you learn, you know, just put in a bucket, do this. And that's how you did that. Mm -hmm. Same thing with power. You know, you, we had power in phases uh, when I was growing up. You know, you get eight hours and then you go down for six hours, no power. Mm -hmm. So then you use alternatives, Yeah, you know, right. to get a generator hooked up and things like that. So it was different, you know. And yes, you're right. A lot of people grew up here don't know that. Here it is one thing, living it is something else. So it makes a different person out of you. And then the war started. And at first it was very terrifying, you know, because mm -hmm. when the war started, I was 14, I want to say. It was terrifying, to be honest, because you didn't know what to expect. You know, my parents were like, hey, we're going to go get rice, flour, you know, the essentials. And we packed, literally had like 200 kilos of, you know, rice bags and flowers and, you know, just the essentials, right? And then the alarm goes on, you know, and there you go. That's the first day. And where we live, the silence alarm was 200 feet from our house. It was pretty oh, wow. loud right there. So that thing goes on midnight and you're like, Arr. we were asleep and we, yeah. we got shocked and we were scared. And that's when mom was like, don't worry, let's just go here. One room right here, you know, all stick together. Mm -hmm. And then right after, you know, you hear boom, 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 boom. And at first, yes, it's hard and it's tough and war is nasty. There's no nice way of putting it. It's yep. nasty from all aspects. But what doesn't kill you make you stronger. So you learn how to yeah. survive. You know, you learn how to survive. You learn how to every time you go to work or to school. I mean, my sister's school got bombed twice while she's in a school. And I switched in a couple of bus stations from what I had to go. I worked in summer right there when there was no school. So switching a couple of bus stations and, you know, about, I don't know, 100 feet from where I was, a bomb goes off in that bus station as well. You know, so it was one of them things where you leave in the morning, you kiss your mom, you kiss your dad, your sister. Yeah. I love you. It's kind of like the last time. It became your everyday thing. So you get used to it. And yeah, at first you were terrified, but then okay, but you well, learn oops, to be grateful for everything, huh? Absolutely. Yeah. Because you had to really work for it, earn mm -hmm. it, learn, be smart on how to earn it. And it wasn't even available as much. You know, you so. know I think of 
right, kind of bringing it back over here to the United States. I have family members, I have friends who have everything they need to do what you did and wake up and put your feet on the floor and say, no turning back. The only thing is what's forward and starting a business. Like that is a big deal. You just have to work through every little thing, every little fear, every little, you know, so here you are, you've left your country, which I can sense how much you love your country. And, you know, there's history there and it's heartbreaking. And you talk about starting over. Mm -hmm. I mean, and not the way a lot of people are doing it today. I grew up in a house where survival mode from the beginning, you know, well, most of my family members were successful in their careers and they were all, they all, my mom and her sister are into the sewing and dressmaking and Mm -hmm. all of that. My uncles are mechanics and have big garages. My grandpa had farms and things like this. On my dad's side, my aunties and their husbands, they were into civil engineering. So they had, you know, hotels and, and, and lands and houses and things like that. It's even worse when, you know, you lose your house, you lose your business, your car gets burned, stolen, and then it makes it harder to start over. Right. But to me, it kind of worked in a good way. And thank God for this, because again, I wasn't too old, but I was at that age, you know, Mm -hmm. the downside to it is it it stole my teenage years. You know, I was never a teenager. I couldn't be a teenager. Mm -hmm. You know, I had to learn how to our stoves worked on gas right there. And then gas in Iraq, or at least where we lived in Baghdad, was a t- uh, 25 uh, gallon tanks, metal tanks or containers, I guess, you know, and then you had to roll these containers to the gas station where they sold gas as well, you know, and then wait in line. I remember waiting in line two days, literally two days, rotating with my mom, rotating with my sister at the time and my father just because there's at least two, 300 people and nobody's open, mm-hmm. you know, and you had to it and they'll work like a nine to five type of shift. Right. So then overnight you do that. It got that bad. It got really bad after the war. You learn how to survive, right? You learn how to do that. And then once you see there is something better or there is an option to get better or do better. Yeah. Your whole face just lit up. Oh boy. Like you can, you can yeah. still taste it. Yeah, yeah. 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 Absolutely. There is the hunger right there. You know, it's, I mean, you're telling me I listen to Cecil and I can see a change from, you know, zero to a hundred. If I apply this and that's when I'm like, oh my God, mm-hmm. oh my God, that's doable. That's doable. That's doable. Yes. That's actually real. Yep. And hustlers I you know, just stick to it and then you write it and keep going. No, no, go back. Just don't back. Just keep so going. So proud of you. I'm so excited to just know you and your story. It's just, you know, you talk about people who have inspirational stories like I mean, it's life changing your story. Somebody's going to hear this and it's going to inspire them to say, okay, no freaking excuses. I can't wake up with the same excuse again tomorrow. Look what Matt did. Yeah, it's, it's doable and nobody's perfect and it's a learning process. And I keep emphasizing the saying, you know, what does not kill you, make you stronger. Yes, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt and it's devastating. And uh, those who, thank God, luckily, none of our family, we didn't lose none of our family to the war, right? Um, extended family, we did lose, you know, they got bombed or killed or shot or things of that nature. But even then, uh, you move on, mm-hmm. you know, and you have to. 
because life goes on and you can sit down here and cry and why is this happening to me mm -hmm. or you can think of it okay well take the the good side of it is what is it going to do Just kick your butt a little bit and then <laughs> come on what's yeah. next what can i how can i make this to my advantage so right. uh, tony robbins I, learned, i love something from him says stop thinking what is it he says don't think why life happens to me it's life is happening for me when you look at it from that point to stand I told Cecil the first day I met him, I tell all my friends, I said, you know, you cannot offend me. Give me your best shot. You know, yeah, you maybe you want to make fun of me or whatever. And that's a great and I'll laugh with you. But I'll give you a good example. Learning my career, when I was learning how to work on cars, uh, there was this one guy I worked with and it did not matter because, again, I started from scratch with the career where I had to get toolbox and things like this. And as you know, Brian, it gets expensive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and if you're not making that much, your snap-on bill, uh, you know, is too fast. So you try to do your best slowly. So if I need a wrench or a socket or an idea from him, I'm like, hey, John, can I please borrow this wrench, you know, and he'll give it to me like, okay, here, you know, <laughs> and then if I go ask him the second time on it, you know, he goes, you know, the tool truck has it, right? <laughs> Now, I'll give you the point of, of why I'm saying this. This kicked my ass. I, there were so many times if I ask him for an advice or if I ask him for something, right, he'll charge me like a point ten for it, for example, or like a point one or point two for mm -hmm. okay but i gotta leave my work i said you know what i understand i respect that can you please help me out i got a customer that's waiting i want these four hours on this car because that's my paycheck i got a kid and a wife you know and now you're being a jerk not trying to help me and still want to charge me for it in other words and i'll do it you know so uh, there were times where a lot of people will look at it like oh what a mean guy what a jerk what a this what a that right i look at it as you know what thank you so much man You know, because that kicked my ass, made me get to the next level to where I'm going to go and learn it. And yes, I'm going to pay for it this time. Next time I do it for free. Not for free because I know it. You know what I mean? And thank you. Now I know this tool. I use it. And you know, he's right. If you're going to need that tool more than once or twice, then you probably should buy it. Yeah. I, I learn from this. I take it to my, I take it as a pusher. Yeah. When you come to my shop, for example, and criticize me or things like this, hey, you should do this this way. You should do this way. You know, thank you so much. Yeah. All right. I'll take it. I'll consider it. I'll translate it to what it fits my scenario and apply it accordingly. And I think that has a lot to it. When we first landed, again, my English was not good. So can you imagine how many people start making fun of my accent or language? And you had to learn English. You had to learn the culture. You had to get understand your dollar, of course, you know, your money, you know where to live, where not to live, what to say, what not to say. And during that process, you know, not everybody got the patience for a foreigner, you know, you're not speaking English, go out of here, you know, go learn how to speak the language, you know, so on and so forth. In a way, they're not wrong, but in the same time, I mean, you got to have some mercy inside your heart, you know, I mean, help the guy, mm -hmm. you know, uh, if you know how to advise him, advise him and move on. And, and if I was going to get mad or offended by everybody that called me a sandbag or whatever it was, you know, these uh, prototype names, I'll never move forward. You can't. You mm -hmm. simply can't. You get your head wrapped up into it too much. And then, oh, well, then, then if you're emotional too much, then you're, it, hurts, it hurts your feelings. And, and you just cannot move on, you know, yeah. at least not at this speed. Yeah. So that's great. I mean, a lot of people get offended way too easily. Yeah. And taking that feedback as something, you know, instead of looking at it as, oh, they just offended me, look at it and say, that, well, there's some truth in in everything, you know, that people say usually and looking at that and saying, 
here's an opportunity to get better. I mean, Absolutely. that's a, a big deal, and it's something that more and more people should really do. Absolutely. I mean, even learning the career itself, you know, technicians are a tough industry, and then mm-hmm. the automotive is a tough industry. You know, the service advisor in the front office is nice and sexy and attractive and all of that, right? But in the back, there is a lot of, mm-hmm. I don't know what it's called in English, but it's tough. Guys between each other, cussing, making fun and whatever, mm-hmm. right? So you had to take it pretty good. I remember asking questions on cars, and you're like, if did you really ask me this question? If you didn't know this, then you shouldn't be working here. You know, I said, well, uh, back when you were learning, I'm pretty sure you had to learn at some point. You know, you did yeah. not come knowing everything. You had to learn. I don't believe in a stupid question. I talk to your team, you know, when I have my meetings with them. And um, I'm like, hey, I'm going to be asking questions. And some of it may be stupid, but you know what? I need to know. You know, I need to know the answer to that. So I know probably not to ask it or how to do it. I tell the customers, I'm not too afraid of telling you if I didn't know it, I don't know it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to make a story up. No, they love it. They come back from kickoff meetings with clients and they're like, oh my gosh, this guy, like he was asking all these questions. They love that. When you're engaged in the process, that is when we can really partner with somebody and really help them. And like, I knew some of your story, but... When you just take the time to really hear the whole thing, it's just so unbelievable to me. I mean, again, there's people who are like, no, that's just, I just can't, that's just too much. So what you've done in what, less than 10 years, right? When you look at your whole lifespan, mm. like 10 years is like this tiny little segment. But what you've done, the stories you get to tell your son, mm-hmm. you know, like... Oh my gosh, what a legacy. Well, I want to get back to like today, where you're at today Mm. with your shop, because, you know, you've got such a a history there and you're at this point now of everything that you do is just done with excellence. This shop that you've built, you know, the way that you have outfitted it and everything, you know, it's not a huge shop. It's a four bay shop. A lot of people, they want to wait until they build that giant shop before they go all in on it mm-hmm. and make it just a super nice facility and have all of the best tooling and all of right. that. But you didn't do that. So you're four bay shop, mm-hmm. two technicians, mm-hmm. but your shop is like really, really nice. Tell us about why you did that. And, and also I want to talk about, you know, the whole idea of you being that unapologetically, you know, the high price in your area and how that has like changed your life and your technicians lives and all that. So the first part about the shop and why did I go all in back home? We didn't have access to tooling as much, neither the knowledge by the book. You had to be creative. Parts were not just available like are today. Yeah. I did not really ranged professionally back home because I was a kid, but you had to be very creative, man. I mean, that was the age where you open up an alternator and rewind it, uh, get new brushes in there. You had to understand how many, you know, rounds you do and winds and what to use and so on and so forth. As simple as gaskets, you could not get back home. You know, you get very creative sometimes and you use, you know, paper, spray with oil. And then some of the old timers will know mm-hmm. it works. You know, that's not permanent, but it works. It does the job. Mm-hmm. Why did I go all in simply because a part of it is it's that it's we didn't have it. I can have it here. I can provide it my to my team. The tooling is a big thing today, right? State of the art scanners, equipment and all of that. Um, again, I couldn't afford it back when I started and I worked in these shops where, oh, well, we don't have this. We don't have this. So as a result, the car took longer to get fixed, never gotten fixed right, came back or a customer was best on and so forth, right? I'm like, okay, and I can afford it now. I'm not going to stop. Yeah, it does get pricey. It does get pretty pricey. 
It makes your life a lot easier. It does the job right the first time and faster and, and how it's supposed to be done, right? And uh, plus, I'm a technician, so we have that addiction, right? Yeah. We have that addiction, the tooling addiction. I mean, when the snap-on truck comes in, uh, it's a bad day <laughs> to the pocket. <laughs> the other section of your question is uh, the pricings. You know, there is a price to quality, value and quality and honesty. There is a price on that. When you come into my shop and you tell me, hey, uh, here is your concern, right? I offer my customers this and I challenge a lot of the shops out there because I think that's how our industry needs to be. I said, look, if we do not fix your concern, you pay me zero. Uh, now, yes, that take a lot of work on the service advisor side, explaining things to customers, telling them how things work, how the circuit work, but it's guaranteed. You know, if you told me I have a noise right here and that noise did not fix, I don't want to charge you anything, mm -hmm. you know, and I take it personal. So part of it is that honesty, the transparency, as we spoke about earlier on the inspections. Hey, Mr. Customer, here is what's going on with your car. This is what's going to fix it and get it back on the road today. Mm -hmm. The rest is going to take a little longer when you got need. You got need it in six months, so on and so forth. So just be ready. And if we're keeping the vehicle, it's going to cost you this much, obviously, on the long run. So where do you want to go from here, right? You know, customers appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Appreciate that big time because... Uh, you're working hard for your money, man. I don't care what you do. You're working very hard for it. So it's not easy. You don't want to waste your money. And in my opinion, when you go in for, you know, the method that other shops used to use back in the, when I worked as a technician, it's a waste of money. You know, you're taking his money today. And then when his transmission is going to go out in the next, you know, three months, because the thing slips already and you can feel it as mm -hmm. a tech, mm -hmm. it's going to cost him seven grand down the road right there. Some people just don't have that or other people would rather trade it. And so tell the guy. So there's that transparency right there that you don't find a lot into the franchisees business, uh, into the dealerships, not as much and some of the other uh, independents. So there is a cost for that. Really, the other thing is the industry has shifted drastically and equipments are not cheap. We spend a lot of time training and a lot of money on training. Mm -hmm. So all of that adds up. Plus, we want to make our industry uh, some of the best industry out there where we can track new people. And the only way you do that is you got to pay them better. So kind of, you know, eventually the consumer tracks it. I mean, everybody here talks in the, the summit talks about, you know, my plumber costed me this much for this much. Yeah. My uh, electrician costed me this much for this much. Right. And, you know, that's perfect. I don't argue it. They worked hard for their tooling and they need to make a living. Yeah. Today, you cannot live off of what, two, three, four thousand dollars a month. You just can't. You can't pay your technicians top pay. Exactly. If you're competing on price. Exactly. And one of the things that Cecil said, Yesterday when he was talking that I thought was so interesting was he talked about one of his shops and how when something does go wrong, they're able to make it right because mm -hmm. they are profitable. Mm -hmm. exactly. You know, the shop that is struggling mm -hmm. financially when something goes wrong, they can't make it right. They don't have the funds to be able to make it right. Mm -hmm. And in your case, because you are pricing and I'm talking about being the unapologetically high price. Leader, really, you're probably the one that just is where you need to be, you know, whereas the, the rest are just way too underpriced. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they'll kill themselves, you know, and you don't see it right away, but you'll see it on the long run. And I don't know if you agree with me or not. You know, a lot of the old timers are out of the business, don't want to deal with it because Cecil talked about it yesterday. You undervalue yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not an easy mm -hmm. career. It takes a lot of talent, man. I mean, we're fixing engineering mess ups sometimes, you know. Yep. 
Why does an engineer have to get paid, you know, half a mil or a quarter of a million a year? I'm not saying we're engineers, but man, some of these problems we go through uh, or challenges we face and repairs and things like this, it's a lot of knowledge and a lot of, you know, tooling involved into that. And in my opinion, part of the technician shortage out there because our industry, hey, nobody wants to get dirty, has the bad reputation to it, so on and so forth. And if we correct that because we deserve that and it has gotten there. I mean, today your vehicle is a computer. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you got multiple iPads or Android mm-hmm. systems in there, you know, can and bus systems back and forth. And and the Euro market, some of the European cars has over, yep. I don't know, 50 modules in them. Yeah. It's that, you know, plus the value that we offer. I don't fix short-term issues, you know. You're my customer. You're keeping your car long-term. I'm offering three years, 50,000 mile warranty on that. And I'm going to educate you and tell you why you need to do what you need to do. I'll show you that. I'll prove it to you. I tell my customers, if you want to listen to me, I'll prove it to you. I'll show you. Let me, let's, uh, this is the fun part to me. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of wisdom in the conversation that, Mm -hmm. you know, we're having today, being able to, to hear, you know, from where you started and where you are now. And, you know, I hope that it inspires uh, some of the listeners to (laughs) kind of take the same steps in their own business. Thank you. So, yeah, we really appreciate you being with us today. I appreciate you guys. And um, your first time. I say you you're a podcast rock star. It was <laughs> awesome. I really yeah. enjoyed it a lot. Thank you for your time. There is a first time for everything. It's, uh, it was terrifying at first, you know, for <laughs> me. <laughs> but thank you so much. You know, I love this. It's awesome. Somebody earlier was saying we got to be the change. And yeah. yes, I totally agree. But I want to get in touch and with Cecil and have, brainstorm some ideas on how we educate the public, the consumer on how to do things. And yeah. that will make us a better industry. And we are, because again, it is a good industry. I love what we do. Awesome. Well, thank you again. And uh, to our listeners, we are just one of the podcasts on the Aftermarket Radio Network. There's some other great shows that you really should give a listen sometime. You can find those at aftermarketradionetwork.com. Uh, and we hope that you'll tune in again next week. Until then, go fill those bays. You've been listening to the Auto Repair Marketing Podcast with Kim and Brian Walker. Follow the podcast on your favorite listening app. Find their emails in the show notes and visit them at shopmarketingpros.com. Let Kim and Brian know what you want discussed because they're all about advancing the aftermarket.